Namaste, one and all. Uh, I welcome all of you on behalf of Think India Pune and Think India Mumbai. Um, today we have a very distinguished guest with us, Sri Rajiv Malhotra, who perhaps needs no introduction. Uh, so we are honored to have you today. Uh, today, sir, be speaking with us on artificial intelligence and future of power, which is indeed a very different. Very interesting and still a very relevant topic to discuss. Um, before starting with the talk, I would just like to give a short introduction of Think India. Think India is a student organization uh, consisting of students from various national institutions like IITs, IIMs, ISTs, NLUs, and it aims to inculcate a nation-first attitude among students, bring them together, and motivate them to work towards nation building. During this pandemic, we also organized a lot of debates, lot of uh, article writing competition, lot of live sessions, and uh, made sure that students utilize this time uh, to learn and to increase their knowledge. Now, without any further ado, I would request uh, Mr. Rajiv Malhotra to share his thoughts on this very interesting topic, artificial intelligence and future of power. So please. Thank you very much for inviting me. This uh, this book has been in research for five years, and unlike uh, many of my other books, when I start talking about it uh, in the final stages, in this case, I decided to keep completely quiet. I decided that uh, I will not uh, speak about it. I did give a few hints because I talked about digital colonization in the last three four years. I didn't talk much about the book though, and I gave a talk in um, Valley of Words, Dehradun, in two thousand nineteen. Uh, luckily, we had the raw footage and we did not put it up because the reaction from the audience was so strong and so intense, and they were so uh, kind of uh, moved by it that I decided it would be a bad idea to leak it out before the book comes out. So, uh, so uh, uh, the same literary festival invited me in in 2020, just a couple of months ago, uh, to again be a keynote speaker, and that's when I openly talked about the book uh, for the first time. So uh, the background I have is that at the age of 20, I came to the United States to do my PhD in physics, but I switched to computer science. And that, that has a lot to do with AI. I, my specialty was AI, and I won't go into my own life story, but several things happened uh, in physics and computer science that had to do with AI. And so I switched to uh, the computer science uh, department, uh, and then I pursued a career in, uh, in the computer field. Uh, I worked in the software field in the mainframe industry for a long time, uh, then in the uh, telecom industry, uh, then in the information services industry before it was called information services. I was using the internet before it was called internet. It used to be called ARPANET. And before that, it was called DARPANET. Uh, so when people say, oh, this guy talks about using a technology even before it existed, uh, ha, ha, ha. The point is that many technologies do exist and certain people get to use them before they become public. Same thing happened with Wikipedia, uh, you know. So uh, anyway, I was using some of these technologies before they became public. In the, in the career in... Uh, uh, ITT, uh, uh, where I was a corporate vice president, uh, we had a lot of technology for the U.S. Department of Defense. The U.S. Department of Defense actually pioneered so much research, which then becomes commercial. First, it's classified for military use only. 
For instance, uh, we invented our our company had a lot of work uh, patents in the in original research on fiber optics. And a gentleman whose office was adjacent to mine, a Chinese American, uh, got the Nobel Prize several years later for fiber optics. Uh, that's the time when Bell Labs was inventing the transistor and semiconductors, also for also the Department of Defense. We were inventing we're speech, which is now very now common. Very when common. you speak to Siri, and Siri understands you, that speech that recognition speech was actually was a Department of Defense project a long time ago. So the, my, my background and career in this topic is way back. Uh, but 25, 26 years ago, I quit all that to start my foundation and get into uh, what is called humanities and social sciences where I have no training. My training is entirely in uh, hard sciences and uh, uh, you know, computer science and things like that. Uh, but for most of my adult life, I put that aside and started uh, writing and engaging in issues of dharma and uh, uh, you know breaking India forces, the political, geopolitical forces, uh, the liberal arts, the social sciences, those became very important to me. So I brought a discipline and a kind of thinking that is typical of scientists, you know, into this arena. Uh, and, and sometimes I cannot understand their, their approaches and they cannot understand mine. So that's what makes an interesting, uh, interesting encounter. Now, <clears throat> you might wonder, well, okay, so since I, uh, since I kind of left uh, the technology field and got into uh, humanities and social sciences and geopolitics and dharma and spiritual traditions and so on, then why, why write this book on AI, which actually goes back to my earlier background? Uh, and the answer is that uh, I don't discuss in this book particularly because it's already a 500-page book. It's, there's a lot more material I have which are published later. But st certain things started happening five years ago that troubled me. Uh, things started happening in AI. And I started quietly investigating. Uh, and these things have a huge impact on the world, United States and everywhere else, but especially India. When I, when I uh, started this book, I gave it to some uh, experts. I brought in some uh, editors, you know, to sort of help clean it up and so on and give me a feedback, which I do with all my books. So many of them, so many of the Americans, and I didn't have anybody in India involved. So many of the Americans said, you should write this book on America because all this is affecting America and too much focus on India, is, you don't need that. So, and I, I did think of, removing the India as my case study and uh, putting in USA as a case study. But I will do that in a separate book. I, I, I do plan on doing that in, in a separate book. But in this book, uh, part one, which is 70% of the book, is universal, how AI is affecting society. Part two of the book, which is 30%, is on India as a case study. So I, I focus on that. And I give reasons why India will be particularly affected because of its large population, underemployment, uh, uh, undereducation, a uh, lot of uh, fragmentation, infighting, uh, you know, and, and most of all, India lost the lead to China. And I give reasons why I, I'm very upset and concerned uh, that the software industry, which is considered, which was at one time considered, you know, India as a superpower in software, uh, lost the lead to China uh, in AI. And AI is software. So how come, India as a software superpower, you know, 
did not keep that lead and become an AI superpower? And why is India behind USA and China in AI? Uh, in fact, if you look at the statistics, India is not in the top 10 in the world in terms of investments in AI, uh, in terms of patents in AI. A uh, lot of Indians in their personal capacity are at the top, top of AI, but they're working for American companies. Uh, some of the brightest leave India and go to USA, and they work for American companies in tremendously you know, important positions, but they are not making technology for India. They're making technology for US. Those who are in India and working in AI, the vast majority of patents being filed in India on AI and related technologies also are by people like Microsoft India, people like Google India. So again, it's the, the owner of the patent is not India, but somebody else who set up a base in India. And by the way, when I talk about artificial intelligence, it's not only the limited thing, technically limited AI area. I'm talking about uh, uh, augmented reality. I'm talking about uh, you know the neuroscience uh, you know in interventions by AI. Uh, I'm talking about drones, uh, you know, robotic soldiers that are driven by AI, facial recognition, speech recognition, handwriting recognition. Uh, I'm talking about the hacking of your mind through social media. Uh, I'm, I'm talking about the spiritual dimensions, which are very serious. Uh, so I'm looking at a whole lot of technologies. Quantum computing. Uh, actually, when I left the tech world and started Infinity Foundation, some of the early grants we gave were for conceptualizing quantum computing because I, I saw a kind of a Vedanta uh, you know, role in quantum computing. And so we funded some work in quantum computing in the mid 90s at a time when people thought it's science fiction. Well, today, uh, the US and China are in a race for quantum computing. Whoever builds the quantum computer first, and this will happen sometime later in this decade, somebody will be able to do that because a lot of milestones have been achieved a lot of uh, initial pre preliminary work is, has been done uh, and the race is on. But whoever uh, builds the first quantum will be able to break all security codes, will be able to hack all the encryption, all the passwords instantly. With one click, you'll get into any network. And so uh, imagine how much hacking would happen. Imagine uh, all your energy grid, your electricity grid, your defense grid, uh, all of that completely hacked. Imagine a missile is coming towards you from an enemy and you are able to hack into its into its encryption and give it instructions to U-turn and go back and go back where it came from and blow up. Imagine the danger, what would happen to the entire missile network of a country if the enemy could just reverse the direction of the missiles by hacking into their, into their uh, in, in information. Uh, that's the kind of uh, uh, catastrophe uh, that quantum computing will bring. Now, USA had a clear lead in quantum computing, but China did some big borrow steel. Uh, you know, they have this approach to take other people's ideas, and US is very upset. I mean, that's the one thing I agreed with Trump on is China policy, uh, that uh, uh, you know, the China was not playing fair. Uh, which until he called, he blew the whistle. You know, people were tolerating it. They were putting up with China uh, for whatever foolish reason. But anyway, a large part of the U.S. trade war with China has to do with uh, AI. 
it has to do with the u.s military understanding that china has taken away uh, take, gotten an advantage uh, taken a lot of in, in, uh, intellectual property and turned it into weapons uh, china has uh, drones robotic soldiers uh, recently there was an article in which in india in which the indian military said that uh, uh, one of the problems they faced in the line of actual control in ladakh was china used i think it they said unconventional methods but they did not elaborate what that means i would like to understand what were those unconventional methods that they started using new technologies new strange things but i don't know if whether china has started deploying ai on the border yet but it certainly will China is certainly de developing drones, uh, which are going to be able to go under the radar, uh, you know, uh, uh, be able to have uh, facial recognition, identify a particular target, particular individual as a target, uh, shoot that person or drop weapons quietly in the middle of the night for terrorists to pick up. So all this technology, it will export to Pakistan. The Pakistan-China Pakistan, uh, axis is very dangerous, and I don't think uh, enough people rec people recognize it enough. I th I'm sure the security people in India understand all this. I know a few defense people who understand all this. Uh, but the use of AI for weaponry, for uh, for f fighting wars, is something of concern to USA. The way China has suddenly leapfrogged ahead. Uh, also, I read a couple of weeks ago, the India, Indian and U.S. Navy detected 12 uh, driverless or unmanned Chinese submarines, 12, in the Indian Ocean. And these are very slow. They don't look like normal submarines. They're like a glider, and they just slowly go under the water, and they're gathering data. They're surveillance. So what they're doing is going without being visible because they're very quiet, they're going around the Indian coastline and they're going around various places in the Indian Ocean mapping, building an undersea map of the terrain so that if they want to attack, they know what's where, who's where, what the trade routes are, where Indian ships are parked and where the submarines are parked and all of that stuff and where, where you can hide and all that. So these submarines, these, uh, they're called uh, under, undersea unmanned uh, submarine gliders. They're called gliders. And there's 12 of them. Uh, now, now uh, they plan to put out 14, but they managed to put out 12, which is pretty bad for India. But I am told that very soon they will have 100, and in the next few years they'll have 1,000 in the Indian Ocean. So they literally just have their presence uh, uh, under the ocean, all over the place, gathering data. And, you know, this AI is able to give them not only facial recognition, you can count the number of tanks, the number of ships, you can count the speed at which things are moving. You can count the number of soldiers from a satellite picture automatically without human beings having to uh, interpret the pictures. So uh, with satellite imagery or with underwater imagery, uh, you can do you can keep track of very, very minute details of what the other side is doing and and and, and be able to surprise. Them. This is this is uh, uh, this is the next frontier for terrorists. Uh, imagine a little drone which could be like this big and which has a little camera and one bullet, boom, it can shoot and it goes into a cricket stadium somewhere or some kind of a public gathering. Very quietly it goes around and is looking for one person. Suppose the person, suppose they have said, look for this individual's face and there is facial recognition and shoot him. So now what do you do? How do you protect from that? How do you find such a drone? 
and you, and the enemy could have hundreds of them. They're little ones. They're not easy to find. And even if you found one, you shoot it down, fine. It doesn't matter. There's no human being involved. They'll, they'll, they have hundreds of them. So mass producing these uh, on a scale unprecedented is going to happen. And China has a lead on this. U.S. is planning a one lakh drone air force, which means there'll be air force with one lakh drones. One lakh these people, these uh, uh, fighter jets and all that, uh, without human pilots necessary. And if you have so many of them, and then they are collapsible, so they, they can collapse into a suitcase, and the pilot, a human being pilot, a human pilot can eject. Uh, while he's fighting, he can eject uh, these uh, pilotless drones uh, out of his plane, and they can go helping him. Uh, they can distract the enemy. They can shoot, uh, have some uh, ability to shoot the enemy. They can divert the radars of the enemy. They can do all sorts of things. Imagine the Himalayan war where there is robots, not just humans, and lots of them. And they are better than human beings at uh, potholes, at uh, winter weather. Uh, they don't need food. Uh, they are disposable. I mean, if they, they are finished, they're finished. U.S. has been... Uh, uh, working on, uh, uh, you know, driverless vehicles in Iraq, Iran, Afghanistan, testing these, testing these quite well, initially to uh, detect bombs and diffuse bombs so that a human being is not put in danger, uh, but then also uh, driverless uh, tanks, driverless trucks. Uh, so this business of uh, the impact of AI is so huge that there is nothing which is going to be spared. It is as fundamental as the Industrial Revolution uh, in Britain, uh, which created uh, the whole new world system. Uh, and so AI will create a new world system. And USA and China are at the forefront of this. And I, I'm concerned that USA and China are also colonial powers, both of them. I've also had off-camera private discussions with US national security people uh, with some, some of them retired, some of them very active. So this is a topic, AI is a very important topic for national security. Uh, so this is battleground number two. Uh, my book talks about five battlegrounds. So this defense and China and what's happening with all these, these AI interventions for the Navy, Air Force, Army, how it's going to disrupt all of that, how it's going to make today's military obsolete. Uh, today's military will be like, you know, somebody with bows and arrows facing an army of tanks. It'll be like that when people get weaponized with AI, which is happening during this decade. It's already starting to happen. Uh, battleground one is economics. It has to do with jobs. It has to do with education. Uh, is India ready? How did India lose its software lead? And is India going to do the same with AI? And when you look at, uh, there was a report by, I've read all these reports from Pricewaterhouse, uh, Ernst & Young, McKinsey, World Economic Forum, Oxford Economics, all, all kinds of people have been writing reports internationally. Uh, and in India, FIKI, uh, uh, CII, uh, the uh, Niti Aayog, I've read all the reports. So, so I'm quite well uh, uh, you know, informed about what's going on. Uh, the concern is that India woke up very little and in a, a very late after China took this lead in a very big way. Uh, when you go to international conferences, you will find uh, the largest contingent of uh, AI experts and papers come from China most of the time. 
and, and US neck to neck, but sometimes more China. Uh, there are a large number of Indians in their personal capacity working for non-Indian companies. There, there are a lot of Indians. Uh, but Indian companies, Indian and Indian establishments are very few. There was one in, uh, the, the most recent one, uh, uh, it was uh, earlier in 2020, just before COVID hit. Uh, you know, I, I think it was February or somewhere around there uh, before everything got clamped down with, due to COVID. And, and there was one in New York, a very large number of people, a couple of thousand papers and, you know, people attending remotely also. There were just five or six people from India. Uh, and they, those also not in the main auditorium, not presenting any major paper, but poster, just doing posters. People from IIT Bombay, people of stature and substance, just coming and in a very junior capacity. It was very saddening. There were many other Indians, but they're working for uh, Microsoft or Google or, or uh, Facebook or something. Uh, I know some people who work for Amazon in, in, uh, in AI. I know several people in uh, Facebook and, and Microsoft in AI. A lot of people in Netflix. So the uh, India has turned itself into uh, supplying labor, supplying labor. Lead India had in software was lost. This is not a problem of one government or another. The problem India, the problem is when you raise an issue, people should not blame. We should figure out what to do. Everybody is concerned. We should figure out constructively what to do. Uh, you know, it, these problems have happened over 70 years. You can track it. I look at, in this book, I look at the rise of China. Uh, their education policy several generations ago during President Deng, universal education, which India still doesn't have, uh, and, and and practical education. And, and, you know, today the Chinese, when you meet a Chinese person, his parents are well-educated, his grandparents are well-educated. Most of them are third-generation educated people. That is not true for Indians. Now, so the investments that they made were long-term and they're paying off. China invested multi-billion dollar funding of so many technologies. They are the number one in solar power. They have more robots than anybody else does. I mean, there are so many leading edge technologies, semiconductors, they're getting into semiconductors right now. They are not the number one. They're not close to number one, but they want to be. So if you look at AI is a cluster of technologies and AI is sort of the brains with all these technologies around it. Uh, and I mentioned quantum computing, I mentioned drones, I mentioned speech recognition, video, uh, face recognition, uh, you know, robotics and so on. There's a whole lot of fields that are all collectively uh, coming under AI, augmented reality, virtual reality. Uh, so India is, uh, uh, India is not even in the top 10. Uh, you know, there's a report where they they project uh, that the the future the price water cooper which is an american company uh, projects that uh, the uh, the uh, by 2030 16 trillion dollars of world economy will be created due to ai 16 trillion dollars of new economy will, will be created because of ai and they are predicting that the largest chunk of this will go to china almost half and the next will be usa quite a large part part between USA and China, about 75-80% of the whole market share of AI is gone. And then there are others like, you know, EU countries, Japan, Russia, uh, you know, Israel and so on. India is listed as rest of the world. Rest of the world all combined about 2-3%, India is part of that. So we are nowhere close to 
where India deserves to be and ought to be and needs to be in this technology. And this technology is, is going to be a game changer. Uh, and and uh, we have not woken up. When um, organizations like yours, Think India, invite me, they want me to talk about some breaking India, Hindu phobia, all that is great stuff. And when I say I want to talk about artificial intelligence, they say, sir, we'll do that some other time. But, you know, right now our people want to talk about this. So, you know, a large part of my book talks about the uh, the uh, obsolescence of Hindu intellectualism. Uh, and I'm glad uh, Conrad is listening because he's a dear friend also. But uh, I want to talk about this especially separately with people like Conrad that I need to educate the, through this book. I want to educate the whole Hindu uh, uh, intellectual cabal. All of these guys, uh, the, my, my earlier books a decade ago, Breaking India was groundbreaking and uh, Being Different was groundbreaking. A lot of these books were. And they were considered pioneers because they shook up people and they mentioned, they argued things that people were not uh, thinking of at the time. And so the past decade, the discourse of Hindu uh, Hindus in the public has been largely shaped by the ideas in Breaking India and Being Different. A whole lot of other books and people are derivatives of that. This whole urban Naxal is an offshoot of Breaking India. Uh, the whole fight against sameness and the whole fight against evangelism and this whole, uh, uh, you know, fight against Hindu phobia. All of these things are the basic uh, premises and the basic framework was put out a decade ago in these two books. And I've been talking about them for 20 years. So, you know, what happened is a whole lot of Hindus joined the jumper on the bandwagon, uh, thanked me a lot. At first, they were very grateful to me. Then they started sidelining me and bypassing me. And now they have gone way ahead on their own, don't even recognize me. I'm, in fact, I'm not even invited, sometimes not even welcome. And some of them like to just hit out also, not realizing that the very platform and framework they're standing on, I had a lot to do with bringing that out. Okay, so we should be working together. We should be working as colleagues and, and collaborators. But there is this tendency in India, use somebody, dump him, go ahead and try to pretend it's your own, that sort of, that that jugar, that jugar, lack of ethics, lack of dharma is... is uh, costing us. Because what has now happened, this book of mine, new book of mine shows, is that whole cabal, that whole group of public intellectuals who are into these manthans and literary festivals and big shots on social media with their own channels and all that, basically as far as AI is concerned, they're obsolete. They have zero knowledge. They are nowhere to be found. They, they, this is not even part of the topic. They don't even understand. It has not hit the that standard people talking about whether it is Sonia Gandhi or Chidambaram or, or uh, Donald Trump or Pakistan or CAA or, or some mandir, some new thing happening. All those are very important points. But those are the things I talked about 10 years ago or 15 years ago. And now I'm moving on to what the topics will be in the next 10 years. My book is the def defining book for the discourse for the next 10 years. I can promise you that and people will jump on this bandwagon, they will, the honest ones will admit where they got it from, where they got the knowledge from, who pioneered it, and they'll try to include me, and we can work together, because I also plan four or five other books on this theme, uh, and many, many conferences. We'll do AI conferences like we've done Swadeshi Indology conferences, and I want to take a lot of uh, partners and collaborators with me uh, into the future, educate them on AI, bring them on board, and create a whole new mobilization. That's what I want to do. But but the, uh, the, the the my closing remark is 
that the uh, Hindu activists and intellectuals, whether they are political people, whether they are gurus, whether they are these public intellectuals who are experts or on the air all the time in Twitter, they have a lot of followings or I've talked to some of them privately, by the way. They tell me, listen, we don't know what, what this AI is. We don't know why it's important. We don't know why it's important, they tell me. So I tell him that, do you know that as many as 500 million Indians at the lower end of the social economic strata are going to be obsolete as far as being able to get a job? This is very serious. AI's investment, India's investments in AI are very top down. Big corporate people making investments, they'll get even richer, perhaps, maybe. But 90% of Indian workers don't work for big corporate India. They don't work for the Sensex companies. They don't. Those Sensex companies employ maybe 5, 6, 7% of the total workforce in India. Most of them are small, medium-sized, or self-employed, independent, that kind of people. What happens to them? Who's going to look after them? So the, the, my, my, uh, the takeaway I want from you is that India needs to wake up. India needs to shake up. Uh, the the usual leaders who've been telling you what's going on in breaking India and, uh, you know, uh, Maoists uh, going doing this, evangelists doing this, Islamists doing this, uh, you know, all these uh, forces doing it. They are not the ones who are equipped at all in, in this new warfare, in this new era uh, from 2020 to 2030, the new decade. This decade uh, is going to be defined by things I've talked about in this book. So I think if you want to be uh, if you want to be at the cutting edge of where the discussion is going to be, you better read this book. It's, I'm not just saying it because I've written it, because people who are in the AI field, who have written many, many books, they themselves have told me there isn't another book which covers all of these, uh, all of so much breadth and explains the impact of AI for a common person who is not an AI expert. My book is written for people who are not technocrats, who are not AI experts. I'm trying my hard best to educate them, inform them. And I've organized into five battlegrounds so that if you are a defense expert, you just talk about, you just go and listen to watch uh, this, uh, read this uh, battleground number two. If you're into economics and jobs and things like that, you worry about battleground number one. If you are concerned about, uh, you know, the future of uh, social media hacking us and, and, you know, trying to navigate and mold us in a certain direction and brainwash us, then it's battleground number three. So like that, I've organized it. These battlegrounds are not separate from each other. Of course, they're all related to each other. Uh, and the purpose of this is to uh, get young people like you on board. And the book is dedicated to the scientists, technocrats, the youth leaders. They are the ones who can save humanity and save the country. Uh, AI is a tremendous force for good, like industrial revolution was, uh, like nuclear energy, uh, uh, so many things are. Uh, and it's also uh, a tremendous uh, force that will result in inequalities because the benefits will not be equally shared. Uh, some people will get more benefits than others. There will be a new colonization, new colonization. There will be new disempowered people, haves and have-nots, a new caste system, a new caste system uh, by, because of uh, uh, huge masses of humanity becoming disempowered. So. You, you have to take it seriously. With that, I will stop. And uh, 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 Mai, you should now take control and uh, tell me, uh, give me some questions to answer. Uh, thank you very much for listening.
Thank you. Thank you so much. Sir. It was indeed a very enlightening talk for all of us. And I just went through your uh, book preview before preparing for this session. And that uh, quote that you have quoted from Ramayana, I think that, uh, you know, now people should know the truth, even if it is bitter or even if it is, uh, you know, if it even if it is going to be a bit painful, now we should accept, we should start uh, working towards a solution. So, uh, and I would also like to tell you so that a lot of, uh, in fact, computer science students, startup uh, entrepreneurs had registered for this talk. And I'm sure that they have, um, they're inspired and they are, you know, uh, they, they, this has this has been an eye opener for all of them. So Akshara Venkatesh is asking, uh, what is the scope of having a separate ministry and center to each state level government organization to focus on AI? Okay, so uh, I propose and uh, uh, that uh, just like we have ISRO for space and Bhabha Atomic Research for atomic energy, uh, I, I am proposing uh, that uh, India needs uh, a similar large-scale institution and funding for AI, uh, AI in, and related technologies, quantum computing, semiconductors, uh, you know, fundamentals, uh, you know, aerospace for fundamental, you know, these uh, uh, recognition of whether it's speech or handwriting or images, faces, all of that, natural language processing. We need something like GPT-3, which is uh, people who are in computer science probably know that. Uh, we need something like Watson, IBM's Watson, which are, these are huge AI projects that are in the US. We don't have a single project like that in India. So to do large projects, we need the government. We need the government to fund it. Right now, there are Chota Mota projects in this IIT or that IIT, five people doing here or there. That won't cut it. Uh, and much of what we call uh, in our own AI is not implementing, not developing new original technologies. Those are projects where we are implementing ideas that already exist somewhere else. And we are sort of a few years behind and implementing them. So I would, I would like, uh, a, first of all, the central government should start an AI commission, I would give them a huge amount of money. Uh, Niti Aayog is just a, you know, think tank. And, and I, I and I imagine, imagine the following. I sent my, I sent an invite to Niti Aayog to, uh, uh, when I'm writing this book that I, I, I you know, I, I in fact invited them to host the launch of the book. I wanted them to be included in all this. No response, no interest. And so, I, you know, the biggest disappointment, some of India's top economists, I won't name them, uh, household names, they are in the public media all the time making economic stuff and all that. They're well-known people in Indian economics. When I talk to them about AI, zero knowledge. One of them showed that, showed that he thought this is sort of long-term science fiction. Uh, he couldn't believe some of these things I was saying. He said, I don't believe that only this is possible. And then one of them said, look, I, I'll pass it on to some colleague of mine who might be interested. He's some big official. But I'm an economist. I don't think of these things. So I said to him, you know, you're an economist and you're not interested in AI. Come on. It's like uh, during the Industrial Revolution of Britain. Imagine if there was an economist saying, you know, I'm not interested in the Industrial Revolution. I'm an economist. The point is the Industrial Revolution changed, changed world economics forever. It, it, was, it was the future of world economics. And any economist worth his salt today has to be very concerned and very knowledgeable about AI. And the ones who are not should be just not not even given any respect because they're obsolete. So I'm finding obsolescence across Indian society. 
आर के के इज आस्किंग वॉट आर द जियो पोलिटिकल अलायंसेस इंटरनेशनल जियो पोलिटिकल अलायंसेस दैट इंडिया शुड और मस्ट टेकअप इन टर्म्स ऑफ ए आई पार्टनरशिप मे इट बी इन रिसर्च और इन इंडस्ट्री सो वी हैव टू हैव टेंजिबल कॉन्क्रीट प्रोडक्ट विच आर वर्ल्ड स्केल एंड पीपल लाइक रिलायंस शुड गेट इन टू इट people like tata should get into it people like tcs and infosys they should all get into these things and we need a visionary to put it all together alliances overseas yes but what about alliances in india right now the indian defense don't have much alliances with the industry and don't have much alliance with academics uh, in the united states there is the military industrial academic complex the uh, general eisenhower coined the term military industrial complex i'm adding the word academic to it and i'm saying that the united states one of the reasons it's strong is because of its military industrial academic complex when i was 20 years old a student in uh, graduate school in in this country uh, uh, you know my professor had grants from the pentagon and uh, all kinds of government grants defense grants and so i had to get security clearance because we had to visit uh, Uh, Pentagon in Washington DC it was so exciting imagine a young fellow uh, you know early 20s and he's so excited that he's part of some project because his professors got this grant and so you know you get inspired you are very practical in your thinking you are not just some writing doing some theories so you will find most uh, uh, good universities the the leading professors got defense contracts and they got industry contracts Uh, if you are a graduate student and you are smart you will get get to to be one of these contracts and become a research assistant or something and then you know you will find that uh, your career is laid out and uh, you you'll really get ahead we don't have that in india i mean india the universities are mainly teaching and and not, sometimes not even teaching mostly politics and nonsense like that uh, and, and about identity politics then you know hardly any quality research projects align with national interests not on a big scale you will find every time i say this some uh, iit guy somewhere says no 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 i have i do this work with so and so in the government and i've got two graduate students working for me but that's not going to cut it you need huge scale and you need very long term bets india needs to make billion dollar bets on some of these long term projects that's what india needs in order to catch up thank you sir uh, vinaya gokuldas is asking how can we engage small towns and indian values in the development and ethics of ai because uh, he believes ethics in ai will play a big role for the future brilliant question you know these people who ask these questions i want you to write an email to me privately and we have internships we have internships we have uh, part time positions uh, i would love to include you uh, so write to rajiv malhotra 2007@gmail.com To the the one which is two thousand seven is my personal email ID. So write to me that you attended this event. Here is your background. Here is what you want to do. Be specific, be concrete, and I will look at it. Uh, so uh, the the question of AI ethics is very central in this book. And the problem is that in India, all the reports on AI have been top down. They've been you know you do a there's a report by Price Waterhouse or Ernst and Young or McKinsey. They're all corporate people. They're paid by the corporate corporate India. So naturally, they're giving you a corporate point of view that AI is going to be great. Don't worry, there'll be no unemployment. This is the corporate spin because the corporate and it's up to the social scientists and NGOs to understand the bottom up view. Nobody has gone to the villages, the panchayats to to study what the impact will be on them. There aren't people doing research at the state level. 
why aren't states uh, initiating their own study on AI impact? It's a, it's a huge thing coming their way, like a, like a huge tsunami. Why are they just sleeping? Why, why are they waiting for someone else? Every state should do its own study, and they should go down to the village level, to the district level. They should look at what are the industries in their particular state, what makes livelihood, what uh, and how that impacted. You know, how will it impact every single occupation in their state? They should do that. So this business of understanding the values uh, uh, and the ethics, uh, uh, you know, at the social level, uh, which is the theme of my book, has to be done bottom up and has to be done starting from the most vulnerable people in society. It should not be corporate India, Sensex India, uh, with their FDI worrying about foreign investments, uh, some venture capitalists, American, mostly American venture capitalists investing most, most of the money in Indian AI, by the way. It's not very, a, a small portion of the money invested in AI startups is Indian. Most of it is foreign uh, venture capitalists. And when that company is successful, they buy it out. It becomes part of Google or something. So India has not really taken this whole matter seriously. They, so I think the question is a very important one. Uh, they, the, the studies on uh, AI, how to benefit from AI, because AI has got a lot of beneficial qualities and it has got a lot of harmful qualities. All of this should be studied from the point of view of the bottom of society. And this is what why I want to educate our MPs. I want to educate the people in Rajya Sabha. I don't think they know all of this stuff. Uh, our literary festivals don't talk about this. They're talking about all kinds of stuff, this scandal and who's to go get some FIR. Uh, some manthan goes on about some attack on this fellow, some rape over there. You know, India India is dealing with short-term, tactical, day-to-day uh, -day sensations and squabbles and fights and divisiveness, but is missing the big picture that we as a collective nation are losing the war, the big war, Okay, so if a ship is leaking, okay, and you're squabbling about which department gets to do this and who gets to do that while the whole ship is leaking, that's pretty serious. So the ethics have to bring, uh, put the spotlight on the interest of the villagers, uh, the interest on the, of the bottom 500 million people of India, the bottom 500 million people of India, such a massive society. I consider them to be seriously at risk. And, and I think that you can turn it around in a sequel to this book. And I won't give out the secret now, but in a subsequent book, which I've almost finished writing, I'm talking about how India can actually leapfrog ahead and how it can use its own traditional values, how we can use our traditional values in AI, do some path breaking, game changing, you know, breakthroughs in AI, which will help the whole world of AI and also move India forward way ahead of anybody else. It's like, John F. Kennedy wanting to put man on the moon within the same decade is that kind of a vision I have, but I'm not giving it away in this book because I'm, I'm disappointed when I've shared far-sighted ideas. I, I, I have been disappointed with the people who take these ideas and run around here and there to become personally very famous very quickly, uh, but that has not helped the society as such. And it's, it has fragmented the energy that should have been put together and used in a, in a cohesive way. Uh, I, I, since I'm disappointed, I've had bad experience. Uh, therefore, this time around, I'm very careful what I share, when I share, and with whom I share. And how are the Breaking India forces using uh, AI, and how are they using it to exploit the civilizational ethos? People ask me, what does this have to do with your previous work? Okay. And, you know, this, this kind of question comes up, and it shows how ignorant our people are. How ignorant. 
And these are the people that you, the society, have counted on as sort of big netas and big leaders and they, whatever they say gets quoted and, uh, you know, people go running to uh, subscribe to their channels. Come on. People with five times, 10 times, 50 times as many uh, social media followers and all that as I do, I'm surprised and shocked at how ignorant they are and how obsolete they are in terms of where the battlefield is going into the future. So when I, when I wrote about breaking India, I was writing about it in the year 2000. It took, and by the year 2005, I had a lot of papers out. And in 2010, 11, I started, uh, 2008, I started writing actually the book. So that defined the past decade or more of the discourse. I'm telling you that the same people who jumped on that bandwagon now need to jump on this other bandwagon because they're obsolete. And the foolishness is that you, the followers, you, the society, you, the Ahmadmi, are going to go clamoring after them again. But you need to understand the, 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 entire, the entire Hindutva activism crowd is obsolete. The entire Hindutva discourse on what we need to do uh, to reclaim our history, to reclaim our identity, all those are things I champion. I know that. But I'm saying that that entire discourse, including my own discourse, my own book, Breaking India, are obsolete. My books, my the books I've written in the past are superseded because this takes it to the next level. So what is happening to Breaking India forces, I will not disclose fully. Because just like when I wrote the book, Breaking India, I infiltrated many, many nexuses all over the world. I infiltrated seminaries, church groups, think tanks. I, I quoted some of those in my Breaking India book, European groups, American groups. You know, I, I infiltrated, I had my uh, team go become member here, there, join this conference, sit in this seminar. All of that I did for many years. I've been doing that for this now. I've been doing that for this space for the last five years. I don't want to jeopardize my sources, but I have a lot of information which will shock you. It will shock you when you find out how the breaking India forces have, are jumping ahead to the next generation and we are sleeping. Our side is sleeping because we are fighting breaking India 1.0 and the other side is developing breaking India 2.0. And this breaking India 2.0 is going to turbocharge the Islamists, the Indian left, the Maoists, the, the church people and many new kinds of breaking India forces. And they are, they are established in international nexuses not only the old Breaking India forces getting upgraded, but entirely new ones coming up. Entirely new ones coming up. Some from China also, Breaking India forces. So I'm not going to give you the data, uh, partly because I want you to first understand this book and do justice to this book before we move on to the next book. And partly because I don't want to divulge my sources, because I'm, I'm on to gathering a lot of information on what these Breaking India 2.0 forces are doing against India, particularly. They are doing it globally, but what, the, what those BI forces, they're also breaking Sri Lanka, they're breaking Africa, whatnot. They're involved in various ways, but what are they doing specifically to India in very tangible, concrete ways? I'm, I'm on to building that map of what they're up to. And you will hear from me uh, in the months ahead. Thank you. Thank you and namaste to everybody. <laughs>